0: Hello and welcome back to the Make Sense Podcast. I'm the host, Dan Kelly, and this is the podcast Breaking the Stigma. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by number one algae expert, Rebecca Nibb. We have over 25 years' experience looking at the link between food algae and mental health. And when I had Karen Murphy on the podcast, I always like ask my guests like who should I have on next? I mentioned so many times when I spoke to different professors, because she's just spent a whole career kind of looking at kind of the mental health implications and 25 years ago Rebecca was like saying like people just wasn't aware about anxiety if you got an allergy people just didn't understand it so it's great to have Rebecca on the podcast to kind of talk about the start of her career and how she got into kind of food allergies but also the kind of psychological effects of anxiety and mental health and kind of really pick your brains on that and if you can get a chance to subscribe to the podcast, honestly, I really appreciate it. The more subscribers I get, the bigger guests I can get on the podcast. So thanks again for all your support. Just before I jump the podcast, I've just set up a page called Buy Me A Coffee. And it's literally that you can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast. And I spend kind of countless hours at the weekends and after work trying to make the best physical podcast I can for you guys and bring as much value as possible. And I did have a Patreon page, but I've cancelled that obviously with like the cost of living and getting people to sign up for summit every month is asking for a lot so with buy me a coffee you can buy me as little as many coffees as you can if you want to help support the podcast and honestly you can support it i really appreciate it with all that out of the way let's jump straight into the podcast with rebecca hello and welcome back to another episode of the make and tame podcast so i'm joined by rebecca nib and I had like um, Karen Murphy on the podcast and uh, Professor Adam Fox and everyone's like you need to have Rebecca on the podcast you so obviously you've got over 25 years of experience like kind of looking at kind of allergies but also kind of the mental implications I think it's something which you spoke about more now than it ever has before um, would you like to do like a little introduction to the listeners for anyone who might not have come across your work
1: before? Yeah thanks Dan yeah well, I'm, I'm Rebecca Nibb I as you said I've been working in this area for Ah, uh, for twenty-five, thirty years, um, and I trained as a psychologist, and uh, fell into this ah uh, area completely by accident. Really, I was just looking around for a job after, um, getting my degree and getting a master's, and just applying for all sorts of things, and ended up with a, the running a research project at Birmingham University, looking at why people self-diagnose. And in 1995, I think it was when I first got that job. Nobody had yeah. heard of food allergy at all. It wasn't really spoken about. I didn't know it's about like a, food allergies.
0: It's like a taboo, isn't it? I like, imagine, yeah. like, yeah, it wasn't really spoken about at all, kind of thing. No, if you go, if you go back to like the, the if go back to like the the very start, even like before uni, did you always have a passion for kind of the kind of psychology? Where did that come from?
1: Um, no, not really. No. I was going to join the army. I was oh, just to... Really? yeah i was just gonna go off and do you know um physical activity stuff and yeah. and uh, i'll join the army and then i spoke to somebody and they said well, why don't you know do a degree because you're doing your a levels and i literally flipped through a prospectus and went psychology that looks interesting i'll go and do that yeah that was that was that was it would, <laughs> there was a read really by say,
0: chance was you quite active then would you say when you were younger in terms of like wanting to like join the army and do something quite physical
1: yeah, I yeah I was I I quite like some physical stuff always have been you know we um yeah. you know myself husband son always do lots of sort of physical activity things and um and my background really with my family was sort of police force so it was either you know do I want to join the police force no not really what what do I really want to do I didn't really have much direction and um and nobody in my family had really been to university before me either so I wasn't like following anybody's footsteps and didn't really I wasn't really that fussed about going to university but then when I went I just I loved it and I loved psychology and I just loved the, the area and I loved the application to practice so I loved the, the types of psychology like health and clinical forensic where you can look at the research but you can apply it to people's lives and then you can try and make things better for people and that's what really grabbed me I think
0: Yeah, whereabouts did you go to university then?
1: I went to university in Hertfordshire. It was Hatfield Poly at oh, the time. Oh, nice.
0: Not too far. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And then turned into University of Hertfordshire while I was there. So it sounded a lot posher when I graduated than when, yeah. I, than when I started. That's all right then, yeah. 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 And <laughs> so it, was, you, it, was, it, was, it was
0: great. So we, we, when, you did, when you kind of stepped into kind of the world of psychology, was it everything? Obviously, you, you got into food allergies later on. Like, yeah. But I mean, what, what did you study then? Did you, did you say you, you studied crime as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted because um, my my family background was sort of police force, and and my husband, who I who I met then thirty years ago, was working in a sort of acute psychiatry setting. I really liked that side of things. I think, do I want to be a clinical psychologist, which is very very popular now? Uh, do I want to go into forensic, be a clinical forensic psychologist? I want to work at the home, home office. So I applied for a master's in criminology, and got. Um, a um, An award from the ESRC, the Economic Social Research Council, to pay for my master's, basically. So that was really, really helpful. <laughs> they paid for my fees and, and everything. So I went and did that and thought, oh, I could apply for some jobs. And then I did uh, some voluntary experience on an acute psychiatric ward and went, whoa, oh, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is like the them, reality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Why? Yeah, stressful frightening um environment one that I'm used to now but when I was yeah. you know 21 it was quite um, a shock um and I so I wasn't quite so sure then on oh, what do I want to do so then I just started applying for anything that seemed vaguely interesting as you're doing you're just looking or hunting yeah. around for a job uh, and that's when I got offered the job at Birmingham University
0: and that was was that your first kind of step into the world of allergies
1: yeah yeah. yeah, first time I'd really uh, read anything about allergy. First time that I'd really done anything that was very heavily researched focused. So you do some research projects as an undergraduate and when you are doing your masters, but, but then you're, so you're thrown in to run this huge research project and you learn very quickly and you either love it or hate it probably. And I just love the world of research. And found that I really enjoyed working in that field, that allergy field. And there, there weren't, there wasn't anything around psychology of allergy at the time. Nothing at all. There weren't any published papers. The first papers to come out looking at that sort of thing were around about the time I started. So around about 1999, or when the first papers started coming out. So I found myself the only psychologist going off to conferences and talking yeah. about I mean- this, and people saying what what's what psychology got to do with allergy? yeah i mean
0: even now there's very very few of of people like yourself and i thought that's why it's great to get you on because i love to kind of pick your brain like what was it what was it like like 25 years ago in the world of allergies i mean imagine was it no one knew at all really about the severities of it
1: yeah it's very very different to now so people were only just starting to hear about allergy the media were only just starting to talk about it Um, but we knew from a bit of research that had been published that lots of people thought they had symptoms from food and were sort of self-diagnosing um what was going on so they might say "Oh, i think i've got a food allergy i think i've got a food intolerance but not really being able to get to a doctor there were the allergy clinics in the sense that we have them now um, that has all grown in the last sort of twenty five years, and as a psychologist working in that field, there was there was nothing. There was just me in the UK. Um, I hadn't I didn't hear about anybody else working in in other areas in allergy at the time. And I'd go to the British Allergy Conference with a little poster, and I'd stand there talking about the impact of of allergies on people's um, emotional well being. And the clinicians What was people's going, response
0: to that as well? Yeah, I was well, gonna say, what was yeah. people's response like 25 years ago when you're you're there, like you say, with your, your poster talking about allergy poster. and of the mental implications of that? What what was people's like kind of initial response to the, you doing
1: that? The, the the response was really interesting because the clinicians were like, Oh, this is interesting. Oh, psychology, I haven't thought of that before. And when I started publishing the work that I was doing as part of the research project and, and I was doing my PhD, I'm on side. Some of the big names in allerging like Hugh Sampson and Gideon Lack started to hear about it and I got asked to give some talk to some really big audiences, which was at the time extremely scary. I had no idea. I got, it was really nerve-wracking. I got, I got invited to London to give a talk. And and I just thought it'd be a room, you know, 30, 40 people. And I got there and there was this huge auditorium with 300 people in and people standing outside watching screens. And Hugh Sampson there over from America, who's one of the huge names in allergy, saying, and I'm really interested to hear what Rebecca's going to say. And I'm like, ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> all this pressure so, on you just for to yeah. step out.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so at the time, there there the, the was very little. And there was lots of um, articles out, that, out about, is allergy all in the mind? So it was a lot about our people just making this up, Um, even as, as, you know, even 25 years ago, they were talking about that. Whereas now the landscape's completely changed. Um, And now every clinician wants a psychologist. Every clinician knows that psychology is really important and they're really supportive and they're really on board. And now we get as psychologists, I don't stand there with my little poster. I now yeah. get invited to conferences as a speaker. So that's that, amazing. That's yeah. how, it, you know, it's changed and it's a been full, really nice circle. to see that.
0: Yeah, what, what was that first kind of big kind of research project? So obviously I imagine you've done quite a few over the years. Yeah. What was that kind of the first project you kind of underwent?
1: So that, that first project was looking at why people self-diagnosed. So we some work had been published, say showing that if you ask people, do you have an allergy? Um, and then you bring them into the clinic and you give them skin prick tests or food challenges. There's a huge discrepancy between the two. So about, you know, in the late 1990s, we had about 20% of people in the UK thinking they had allergy or intolerance or some sort of reaction to food, bring them into clinic. And for adults, only one or 2% were a so the project was, was funded by the predecessor of the Food Standards Agency. It was called MATH, so the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food. So they funded the project to look at why are people doing this? Why are they self-diagnosing? Why do they think they've got an allergy? Are they going to eat it right um, and self-treating uh, by avoiding? Or are they going to eat it wrong and then avoiding unnecessarily foods? So we did this huge study. We interviewed 300 people and we sent out surveys across the whole of Birmingham and we did a huge, this huge piece of work um, and there's no, there was no easy answer. Some people were getting it right, some people were getting it wrong, but they were getting it wrong for, wrong for good reasons. So they might think they have a, an allergy because they'd eaten their food and got symptoms, but it might have not have been an allergic reaction. It might have been something completely different and they just put it down to allergy and so that was it they avoided the food forevermore yeah. after that
0: No that's interesting I was going to say when when you kind of start looking at kind of the, the kind of the mental implications of that and kind of doing the research what was your initial response to when you kind of really got into it and you kind of find out the findings? Was it was it quite surprising? For
1: that project, it was really surprising. Yeah, and uh, we looked at all sorts of things like personality. Did that have an impact? Um, different demographics. Was that was that connected? Um, but it was a very. It was looking back now. I thought, oh, we've just looked at everything we could look at in terms of psychology and allergy. And looking back now, we were just scratching that that surface of what of what was going on Um, and it wasn't until I started talking to some clinicians who are working in allergy particularly down in Southampton where they do a lot of uh, you know there's big centers down in, in Southampton they do a lot of allergy work talking to the clinicians there about what they were seeing coming through clinic and they said be really interesting to look at quality of life anxiety you know these sorts of things and look at it in in the family, so try and look at it in mums and in dads, and in the child with a with a peanut allergy was what we we focused on, and their brothers and sisters, and that's the study I did with Jonathan Hurahane and Rosie King, who wept. both both were working in Southampton at the time, um, and that study is one of the only studies looking at the, the whole family dynamic and getting them all to fill in measures and getting dads to fill in. Yeah. scales say I mean, how anxious they are which was really surprising what they were telling us when, when when i
0: when i think about how i got raised and um i've had an allergy since the age of five and like the way i got brought up and stuff i think because there was a bit of maybe lack of understanding in 1992 that like the, the, the parents always made me feel empowered but i don't think they they kind of Wrap me up in too much cotton wool, kind of thing, and and I still went out and did things, but I used to bring me on food or whatever. Um, I think like some parents now, because of the news and the media, like they carry a lot of that anxiety along with them, which can easily kind of transfer onto the kids. What's your kind of research into that? Do you find like is is the link between if if the parent is super anxious, then the kid can really pick up on that? Yeah,
1: absolutely, and I think allergies one of those conditions particularly allergy, rather than some of the other sensitivities to food, but particularly allergy, has a lot of fear connected to it because of that potentially life threatening nature of it that, you know, you're never quite sure when your child's going to have a reaction and how serious that reaction might be. Um, so there is a lot of fear and there's a, and there's a lot of anxiety and there are certain things that I think have heightened that. So there's been over the last probably 10 years, a lot of media attention. Um, particularly on the the more severe end and and the deaths, unfortunately. And they are rare, thankfully, but they do happen. And so, of course, as a parent, when you hear that, that's going to make you very anxious if your child has a similar allergy. So there's a a huge amount of of fear and anxiety. And it can also be... um, uh, increased by the way that the the parent or patient might um, interrupt with sort of healthcare service. So, you know, if they're told, this is really serious, this is really severe, and you've got to avoid everything, of course, they're going to go away feeling really, really anxious. And that anxiety can transmit to the child as well. So we we do see that. Anxious parents, you get anxious children. And if you have anxious parents, they tend, you then tend to have a bigger impact on the family. Then they're less likely to want to go out to eat or go on holidays or let the child sleep over at friends. You know those sorts of things because of that anxiety. Um, so we do see that we do see that more and more. It doesn't seem to be going away. Um, but what I think we're finding is that because um, healthcare professionals know about this, and we talk about this quite a lot. That they they know about the language they they can use and the things that they can say which can reduce anxiety um because if you if you leave it to, to you know to run on its own it'll just it, it can yeah. just stay brought and just get up. worse and yeah. worse. yeah yeah because
0: i think i think i was gonna ask as well in, in, in regards to kind of i think a lot of people feel a bit lost of like where to go to when the kid has got kind of allergy anxiety yeah. and i feel like it i find it so fascinating because when i was growing up um, it wasn't something I ever experienced, I never experienced anxiety as, as a kid, but I feel now it, it it's more on the rise now. Do you see that with the studies you're doing that more children now are getting anxiety with food allergies than ever before?
1: That's a really interesting question because I don't think we have the data that shows that because I don't think we don't have that longitudinal data. Um, we are looking now at anxiety more than we used to I think a lot of the early research focused very much on quality of life and then we, we now have a lot more research that looks at the mental um, distress as well some anxiety and mood and depression we've only just started to develop um, measures that can measure anxiety that are this related to food because what we were finding if we tried to measure general anxiety just using a, a very general generic scale it wasn't picking up particularly high levels of anxiety because of being, you know, phobias or um, anxiety about everyday things, which generally children, even if they have a food allergy, they're not generally anxious. Um, it's the food that creates the anxiety. So we now have some measures to look at food-related worry, um, and they're going to be really helpful in as trying to measure how anxious children are. But I think I think as a society children, you know, growing up now have a, have an awful lot more to cope with, I think, than when I grew up, or for even when you grow up grew up. I mean, they've had to come through COVID, but on top of that, there's all of the social media that they now interact with, um, that we never had. I never, you know, we, yeah. we didn't have we I mean, didn't have I, no I even <laughs> I
0: even I didn't have it. Yeah, like I remember yeah. Facebook getting introduced in like year nine well then you didn't have it on your phone like maybe at the the end of the day people but I didn't I didn't get Facebook until my final year of high school which is Um, it's it's mad when I when I compare it to now they've got buddy TikTok right Instagram Facebook and I think I think it can be quite overwhelming as well on top of allergies and everything else
1: yeah I think I think you're right I think there's a lot that they have to try and cope with and deal with as they're growing up not just that change in identity and that you know you're growing teenage brain and everything you have to deal with um biologically and then you've got everything you need to deal with socially and with your friends and then you, you we have social media on top of that um and i think teenagers generally um are really struggling and in mental health um in uh, that sort of age group particularly in girls at the moment is is much worse than it really ever used to be so you think about all of that and then think about having to manage an allergy on top of that I think the landscape is very different now to what it was 20 years ago
0: yeah what what advice would you give to kind of like parents who I've, I've got a kid with a food allergy in regards to finding that resource because I know um. there isn't many kind of clinical kind of psychologists like yourself I know I spoke to Karen Murphy within that area what is that kind of first kind of step into getting that support I
1: it is really tricky uh and it all does depend where you live as well So <laughs> uh, you know if you live in London and you go to the evelina for your child's allergy you've got a whole load of really great psychologists down there who you can get referred to uh if you live somewhere else in the country um and or if you know further north in England if you live in Scotland Wales Northern Ireland you you know just seeing a yeah you're really you're really going to struggle um so I think the first thing perhaps is to find out whether, you know, if you are already struggling, um, sometimes just talking to your clinician or, or the dietitian, um at the allergy clinic, uh, sometimes that can just, you know, alleviate some of those fears. There might be something specific that you're, you're quite anxious about that you just want to talk over And the healthcare professionals in the allergy clinic are really good at at, at that. And, and can and might be able to help to certain things in clinic. If there are, you know, if you are really struggling or, or your child is and you're thinking you, you do need some help and need referring to a psychologist, I guess the first thing to do is ask whether there is that route for you to be referred to. Because for some hospitals, there might be, and for others, there might not. But for everybody, there is information out there that you can um, access. So, Anaphylaxis UK and Allergy UK. Their websites are fantastic and they have huge amounts of information that is specifically tailored for parents and for children. I know Allerzalaxis UK have just released their uh, online resources for anxiety related to allergy specifically. So I would say go there and have a look through that information. That's going to be really helpful. Um, there are things we're trying to do research wise to to try and improve psychological services and and think about putting on you know free online modules that that patients and parents might be able to access that we aren't there yet so you know that that's coming and we're trialing those and we're hoping that we'll have something that will be of help and support and free to access at any time but at the moment it's you know it's you're right here right now needing some help I'd say go, go to the charity websites and go back to your, um, your, your allergy clinic if you can, your GP if you need to go through there to ask whether there's a route through to, to getting some further support. Yeah,
0: no, that's great. I was going to ask, you, you kind of spoke earlier when you first kind of got into the world of allergies and psychology, you kind of spoke about the quality of life. What was your kind of key findings from that, which you kind of found out about? Well,
1: I mean, most of the research that we've done over the last twenty years has had some element of quality of life in there. So, um, I think that, in particular, we we find that quality of life, particularly around social life, is is what's impacted and emotional quality of life. These are the things really that seem to be um, having foodology has the greatest impact on. Um, Things like your environment and and your um, your physical quality of life tend to be fairly good because you, you know, if you've only got an allergy and you haven't got things like asthma and eczema as well if you've only got allergy you're generally really well unless you eat something that you're not yeah. supposed to so rather than like so, worrying
0: about everything else kind of thing yeah
1: like. yeah so it tends to be it tends to be sort of the emotional side of things and then the social side because anything that you know. Uh, food is related to is, is related to sort of social life um uh, and eating so they they the, sort of the biggest impact on quality of life but then we we went on from there to look at well what things can improve quality of life for people um so things like h- um how people manage the f- their food allergy or their child's food allergy their confidence in managing it their ability to read food labels um Uh, and their ability to perhaps um, plan ahead so that they can go out to eat and those sorts of things can improve quality of life but what we found that on the flip side of that is all of the checking behavior you have to do reduces your quality of life so all of the reading the food labels so having to talk to a member of staff if you go to a restaurant having to ask the chef having to be quite like nerve-wracking as well we I think for,
0: for, yeah. for some people like yeah for yeah. me I've always felt like quite confident and I've always been like trying to use the platform to like empower people but I can understand why some people can feel quite nerve-wracking having to like bring it up around like strangers yeah. or new people for the first time
1: yeah definitely it, it is and so what we what we try and say to particularly parents is try and get your children to do that as early as possible so get them to do the asking. Get them to read the menus. Get them to read the food labels. Yeah, just so to build up that confidence. I even do a bit of role play with them. If they think, if they say, oh, I don't don't really want to go and and ask when we go to the restaurant, then you could do some role play with them to say, well, I'll I'll pretend to be you know the the waiting person, uh, the wait staff, and and you ask me. So um, that can help because we do find that. Um, that people do struggle they don't want to be particularly teenagers young adults they don't want to make a fuss they don't want to look different they don't want to particularly if they've not told their social group they're going out with their friends that they have an allergy they're not going to speak up and say something if they go out to eat
0: do, do you feel like when they kind of take on that responsibility that's that's when it can get a bit difficult because obviously like they're, they're kind of moving away from home they haven't got the parents kind of looking after them is that when you kind of see a spike in like people having anaphylactic shots or having these kind of severe allergic reactions
1: yeah you certainly we, we certainly say that that sort of young adult age group is the sort of the most at risk um, of having more severe reactions so there are a no, number of reasons yes they're they're doing more things on their own. They're becoming more independent. Parents are not there to check for them. They're going out with their friends. They may be they may be risk assessing, but maybe not in the way we'd want them to risk assess. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, I'm not going to take my jolly pen with me today because I'm not going to eat, so I don't want to take it. So that's my, that's my rationale. Yeah. That's my risk assessment.
0: I was going to say as well. I, I get a lot of like parents where the kids are just like not carrying the their art injectors and like the. They always ask me, like, how do you get them to carry it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, it came for me. It's like habit now. It's like phone, wallet, keys, everything. I, like, I just yeah. never forget it. Do you find that yeah. art of of what our kids and our teenagers shall I say, just don't carry it with them when they should be?
1: Um, yes, but I think I'd say that it's not a blanket. They never carry it. I think that um, they do. They do. Certainly, that the young adults, teenagers we've spoken to. We'll go through some sort of process to think, well, do I need it today when I go out? Am I just going around to my friends around the corner? I don't need it. Am I just going to go and play football and I'm not going to be eating anything? So I don't need it. Um, And other times they will take it. So we find that it isn't a, they take it everywhere. And, but obviously that's, that's the habit you want to get them into that as mm. you say that they just do a check they've got the house keys yeah, it they've, got feels the money, like normal they've got the then, phone yeah. they've got the pen that's you know they've got everything and they can take it with them um i think obviously particularly for for young lads how bulky it is is an issue i think less of an issue with you know when man bikes came into <laughs> into yeah. fashion so they could have their a head back pe- and they could I know a lot in. of people
0: a lot of people said that to me when i got when i like when i go abroad i think because i'm only one of the very few kind of male kind of advocates out there with a food allergy talks about it online i get a lot of mums like oh do you wear like a a man bag or a bum bag or whatever when i'm abroad i'm like no i put it in my swimming trunk so i ah. get my mate to carry one and i carry one but yeah i think some parents are like well you don't have two and i was like i do have two i like, mean mate's always like with me um yeah i was gonna ask as well do you, do you find that like the media now and it being constantly at the forefront of the news, like the algae death, do you think that has made a massive impact on like people's anxiety and kind of mental health now having a food allergy?
1: I think it's done a few things. I think it's raised awareness, which is great. We've had some new laws come in around labeling, which has also been really um, an excellent move and is helping people to be able to be a bit more confident in in eating out because they are a bit more confident in the labeling perhaps. Of the food, um, I think on the flip side, it can make people more anxious. And I think it also can has possibly led to um, food businesses being much more risk averse. So maybe saying sorry, we can't cater for you at all because they, yeah, we just sorry, we we just either we either get really really good service where they're absolutely excellent, they really know what they're doing, you feel really confident, and they really look after you. Um, or you get the sort of, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, or they have to sign a disclaimer. So we have had um, parents tell us that they have had to sign a disclaimer before they are able to eat in a restaurant.
0: But I think it's important, I suppose, I suppose a few people about this disclaimer and they're saying it's not worth the paper it's written on. And I mean, if someone asked me to sign a waiver, I think I'll tell them where to go. But yeah, it's it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because everywhere I eat now, they say like, Look, we can't guarantee... I was like I understand that and like because people say how do you eat out and I was like well just make sure they don't cut with too much nuts off if you start that dog make sure that they understand like how a your is even if they say we can't guarantee it it's just it's it's them like trying to save the backs but I mean it's 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 a tricky yeah. one it's a tricky ground in it really to it is it is and I've
1: I've with. heard that um Parents and, and adults as well, you know, with, with allergy, are now starting to say, you know, if they go to a restaurant, they say, I have a serious allergy. So they're trying to get it across that you know, this is something serious, that if you get this wrong, this could potentially have really serious consequences. Um, but I, I think I think there is a lot more awareness now. But I, I think, again, it's perhaps a little bit biased towards the peanuts and the nuts. So if you say to somebody, if you go out to eat and you say, I've got a serious peanut allergy, then you know, uh, uh, they either say, well, we, we really can't cater for you or everything is done to, to make sure that you're safe. But if you just say, I've got a milk allergy, which can also result in a very serious reaction, the awareness of those sorts of allergies are just not as 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 high, I don't think. And so food businesses might not be as careful with some types of allergy than others. And and we have heard as well, we've we've talked to people with celiac disease or into, you know, various intolerances, lactose intolerance for example, who said, I don't even just try and explain that. I just say about I have an allergy, otherwise they don't take me seriously. So there is still yeah. a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. Yeah, I've, I've
0: I've heard people do that before, but I feel like say someone's celiac, and I've had people on the on the podcast who are celiac and I think if they turn around and they said they had an allergy in a restaurant, then it kind of, like, does the messaging then get a little bit lost? Then people thinking, well, if the next person comes in and they've got an allergy, they're going to take it less serious because everyone is saying it now, even if they yeah. don't have a serious allergy. And it, it's a really yeah. tricky ground. And I think I think a lot of them are really honest about would on the podcast. I think they just say, oh, I'm celiac. Can you just make make sure? But... I think people just sometimes think it's the same thing <laughs> it's like I don't it's, I'm not just going to get a dicky stomach like I could it could potentially kill kill yeah. kill someone so um yeah it's a really tricky ground to kind of it
1: is it is tricky ground it's that, really yeah. um it it is and and it's because it's a very complex area as well because obviously you know celiac is is a you know, allergy just not, not IgE. You can't, you can't go into a restaurant and say, well, you know, the IgE allergy non-IgE allergy lactose intolerance, they'll, they'll just go, what? <laughs> what are you, what are you talking no one, about? What are you want
0: about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a complex area anyway. So people understandably get a little bit um, that, that unless they've been and had a diagnosis and told this is, this is what you have, it can be tricky to work out what what you do have and even if you have got a diagnosis sometimes it can be really confusing to know what well, what is it and ha- and how how do i have it and how does it work and how does this reaction occur it's um and the, for me that's one of the fascinating things about the ear as well because you know not a, every patient is different every person is different because the the way they react and how they might react on on any one day is different to how they may, act, may react on another day and to another person with the same type of allergy, and that that's what makes it such a, a complex area. And I think that's why psychology is so important to try and and look at this and try and and help people work their way through it and manage their way through this um, this maze of of. Yeah. this field of allergy.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll also ask to get your kind of advice on kind of like allergy anxiety when eating out in a restaurant, like is it allergic reaction or is it a panic attack? And it'd be great to get your thoughts yeah. on this. It's something uh, from a selfish point of view I, I struggle with, but when I got, I did like an Instagram series um, where the audience could ask questions. It's a question which, which got brought up quite a lot actually about people really struggling with whether is it a panic attack, is it allergic reaction? What advice would you give to some people? I'd say
1: it's a really good question um, because a lot of the obviously a lot of the panic sim- symptoms are very similar to an allergic reaction symptom, um, and we have the same with asthma as well. So you can have a, a panic attack, I think it's an asthma attack, and it's and it's not it's a panic attack. Yeah, so it's not just food allergy. It's, it's that those sorts of um, other other conditions as well can a, a panic attack can mim- mimic it. Um, I think whatever you're going through is going to be scary. A panic attack's scary. Um, whether you realise it's a panic attack or think it's a reaction to food, that I think obviously the thing is that if if it's a panic attack, your adrenaline's not gonna work. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your adrenaline it will be, you know, you take your you know, take your your epipen pen or your DEX or whatever adrenaline pen you've got for an allergic reaction. But if you're having a panic attack, you're you're pumping adrenaline journaling out and you're just giving yourself some more
0: yeah well um, I, it's so it's so mad i i was in a situation where i had something i didn't realize that i'd may contain and, tain, and I, I don't want to go and tell this story too much so i've definitely i like, told it before but like i thought i was going to anaphylactic shock I administered right. the epipen, and then minutes later felt fine i was like what the hell i was like it went from like one end to the spectrum to the other that the ambulance come but when they took all my like blood levels and everything it was like no, I, d- I don't think it's anaphylactic shock. There was like, it could have just been a panic attack. But for me, it actually calmed me down. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I just, uh, in that moment. But um, yeah, yeah it's, it can be really hard, isn't it, to distinguish it,
1: can, it? I think it can be really hard to work out the difference between the two in, in that scenario. Because that's quite an extreme scenario. Because obviously, what we, we can see, we, we see children when they come through clinic and they're really anxious about having a food challenge, for example, or a skin prick test, and they they might, particularly if they're having a food challenge, they might think they're having a reaction to the food, just because they've got themselves really really anxious. Which is why we they do blind challenges. Um, but in that scenario, when you're there and you think you're having an anaphylactic reaction, you've got to just take your pen. I mean, it's not going to do any harm. It's not going to hurt you if you take adrenaline when you don't need it. But it will do if it's the other way around. So I think, you know, in that situation where you, you don't know what's going on and you think you're having a reaction to food and you think you need your pen, just take your pen. Just do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know because at, at the end of the day, adrenaline is a harm for, for most people, unless they have a heart condition, adrenaline is a really, you know, it's a harmless substance. It's substance we make all the time ourselves, you know, get an adrenaline rush by going on rides at, you know, a theme park, you know. So you're not gonna do any any harm doing that but then trying to afterwards reflecting is probably the really important thing was it a reaction what happened what did i eat the food did i not eat the food did and uh, but if you've not had an under reaction before you don't know what it feels like
0: yeah I, I i probably still don't know what it feels like maybe yeah. it, I, I don't know maybe it was like to this day I, I i honestly thought i was i felt like i couldn't breathe but i didn't have yeah. any hives but then i'm like I don't know do you need to tick off like the hives are swelling before you get to not breathing I don't know it's it's a tricky one
1: It is a tricky one yeah there are there are um certain criteria that you you, you know you need to meet to 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 say that somebody's had an anaphylactic reaction and usually it's it's yeah. a number of systems that um, but you know you, you don't always have vomiting you don't always have hives um and so unless you have bloods taken um to look at like triptase levels or something like that you might not oh they yeah never they know. did that
0: yeah, yeah yeah they actually took my blood Um but then it, yeah it come back fine i think that's what that that's what they was looking for
1: yeah so possibly that's why they said it wasn't an anaphylactic reaction but but you know he so said the advice in that situation is it's it's hard just, isn't it just
0: use the epipen. pen yeah because yeah. just... I, I i only realized <laughs> till afterwards it, it isn't harmless you know i spoke to Professor Adam Fox, like when i started the podcast back in february and he said it as well and it's it's such an eye opener because people are so scared yeah. of using it thinking yeah. about what the consequences but but even if if for example say if it was a a parent and the, they think the kid's having an anaphylactic shock and the kid feels saying he can't breathe if they use it on the kid is it the same problem it, even if the kid is a panic attack and, and the parent uses adrenaline on the kid there's still no harm there is that correct
1: Ah, uh, well, as far as I know, I, you know, a yeah, disclaimer, okay. I'm not, I'm <laughs> disclaimer: not a not a medic. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, yes, as far as yeah. I know, you know, you might want to talk to to your your own clinician about this. But but yeah, because of course the the doses for the children, uh, the children's pens are much smaller than than the mm-hmm. doses for the adults. So you know, it's yeah, as, this is what what I've been told as well that actually your adrenaline, if you take adrenaline, it is a is a harmless. So it's not going, it's not going. Yeah, that's why, yeah, that's what I've, I've kind yeah. of
0: heard as well. When someone kind of comes in and, and gets, finally gets the support for their kind of the mental health and the the kind of the allergies, how do you find out what therapy is right for them? I know like there's right. obviously like CBT. Um, how do you, is it, is it off assessment? How do you find out what is right for that person?
1: Uh, again, that is a really good question because cause as psychologists, we can offer. But we're we're often if we're trained in psychological therapy, we're trained in a a particular one, but there are other things that we could use as well. So there's there is CBT, but there's also other types of therapies that are complementary as well. So you can you know do CBT with a little bit of acceptance therapy, for example, or um, so a bit of mindfulness, or a bit of self compassion therapy. So there's lots of things that that might be able to work. What what we would do to start off with is just find out from the from the child or from the parent. What the issue is? What what is what is the problem? What what are the difficulties? What are driving those difficulties? What are they having problems with? What would they like to be able to be doing? Um, we can then see what might be the best type of therapy. But we can also talk to them about well, this is this is CBT, and this is what you would need to do for CBT. Is this something that you feel that would be right for you? So it's always a um done in collaboration with. With the child or parent or adult, whoever you're seeing, it's always a collaborative process. You know, they have to go along with you. They they have to want to be able to do it, um, and they have to um, feel as if that that this might be helpful for them. Um, because if if they really don't like it, you know, CBT is not for everybody. Um, and if they really don't don't get on with it, it's not really going to work. And something else might might work better. But there are certain things that certain types of therapies are good for. So the psychologist would would do a sort of assessment and and talk to the child or the parent and work out what it is that that needs to be what what they need help with, and then what's going to be the best type of therapy.
0: Yeah, because I got a question like earlier today, and um, it was about kind of like how do you kind of manage that anxiety abroad? You know, when you're in a different country and. It, it can be really difficult for me it's obviously like making sure you've got like the allergy cards or is there any kind of like i hear a lot of people kind of talk about like bots breathing and is is there any kind of techniques where you can really kind of ease that anxiety a little I bit i
1: think anxiety techniques that can help with anxiety will help with anxiety wherever you are whether you're in this country or or you know abroad um are what works for you um there are certain things that you that you could do like like planning and making sure that you're you feel comfortable and confident in what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I say if you're going abroad, having translation cards and things like that are, are really helpful. Um but yeah, but anything that's going to to help reduce anxiety that you find helpful. And as, as I say, I would I would recommend going on to Anaphylaxis UK's um website and having a look at the information they've put on about anxiety and how to manage it. Um, and that work out what sort of how is helpful for you and then use those techniques wherever you are.
0: Yeah. Within your kind of like 25 years, obviously kind of the studying kind of the mental health and within kind of food allergies, what has been kind of the most kind of shocking statistic or kind of um, anything which is kind of really kind of stood out and, and kind of within the 25 years which, which you remember?
1: Yeah, It's a really good question i think I think what I've found the most with this condition and i as a health as a health psychologist we we work to i mean my my special area specialist area is allergy and asthma, but we do work a lot with other long term conditions diabetes carry heart disease um those sort of lifestyle conditions where health health behavior change is important um and I think with allergy what struck me the most is the fear that is always seems to go hand in hand with allergy that doesn't that that isn't there in some of those other conditions. And I think it's just the nature of it. It's like you can avoid a cat if you're allergic to a cat but you can't stop eating. So and and the things you might be allergic to are hidden and you can't often see them. And you don't know whether the next time you eat something, even if you take all the precautions, you might find that you eat something that is going to cause a really serious reaction. And I think you know this, this, the fear that goes with that has probably been the, the most eye-opening thing about this condition. Um, and then, you know, we have a huge amount of fatalities from asthma, for example. They don't hit the news like peanut allergy fatalities do or not allergy fatalities. And again, that's probably part of that, maybe part of that that whole world of allergy and how, how it can create that anxiety and that fear. Um, I think that's that's been quite and, and talking to people and talking about their their experiences is really humbling. And then Working out how we can help people is really rewarding. It's it's just such a rewarding field to work in, and and you know, working with mums who are so anxious they can't even think about going out to eat at a restaurant with their child, and and fearing the worst, or every minute of every day. And they're working with them, and then you know, five years down the line, seeing them and their their little boys growing up, and they're going on holidays, and they're doing everything they want to, and they're having a really good time, and that's just that's just yeah. that's just why we, we do what we do so yeah right. it's been it's been a fascinating area to work to work in definitely yeah,
0: yeah and it, it must be amazing to kind of see how how it, the conversation has changed over the last 25 yeah. years from where it yeah. was to kind of where it is now it must be a massive shift
1: yeah. it is a massive shift and one actually i'm quite proud of <laughs> because yeah. it's like well, we me and other people we did that you know we that's
0: amazing yeah
1: we we went out there and said this is an issue this is you know as uh, clinicians you need to think about this in your in your patients in your parents they're going to feel anxious they're going to feel worried they're going to have poor quality of life you need to be mindful of this and 25 years ago they weren't really thinking about it and now as I said everybody wants a psychologist which is you know I think I've been to I've been to four conferences so far this year already and I've got about another three later on in the year where I've been asked to speak um, all about the work we're doing and that and they're all clinical sort of conferences so that just shows how important the the medics, the clinicians now see psychologists and see psychology in in this field they take it very seriously.
0: Yeah, I don't think I asked this question before. I've asked quite a lot of questions, but I, um, I want to ask in regards to why is there a lack of clinical psychologists within the allergy space? Um, no, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's just it's just a funding issue. There is no specific funding um, for psychologists to work to have hours within an allergy clinic. So, uh, as, as as part of your normal funding that that will come through to the hospital for the for your psychologists they'll be seeing all sorts of patients but they'll have some dedicated time for certain patients for certain types of patients with certain conditions allergy is not one of them so although the psychologist m- might be there that you could refer to there might be a really long waiting list they don't have any specific time so there are only a small number of hospitals within the uk where there is some funding and that Like the Evelina, has come from other places. It's not come sort of through the NHS. It's come through sort of charity funding and other sorts of funding. But where we do have psychologists, we're we're showing one a massive need. You know, they're inundated with patients. They're saying they could see if they had more funding, they'd they'd see more. Um, if they can see more and see them earlier, that's going to be more helpful. They they would be able to um help reduce anxieties before they even really got. Got really high, um, so it is. It is just a funding issue, and it and it's for the allergy clinics as well. It's just quite. It's it's underfunded and resourced as a as a condition as an area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no, that's really insightful to get your question. Honestly, it's been great to kind of pick your brain. I did have a few questions which a few of the audience sent in, so I hope you don't mind.
1: Yeah. I think we might of- have touched.
0: I think we might have touched upon a lot of the questions which have been spoke yeah. about. But um, I'm going to see if I can get the questions up now. I don't know if you can see that on camera. There's quite a few.
1: <laughs> oh, the, my God. The, oh, my
0: God. We're, 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 obviously, we're not going to, um, yeah, go by one by one. Um, I yeah. think you'll be here all night. And I think, yeah, you'll you'll be sick of me by the end of it. I think a lot of the stuff, like, from looking at it, we've kind of touched upon. Is there a link between allergies and eating disorders? That was by ah, me.
1: good question. Yes. Yeah, and there's some um, recent research. I think actually a, a review paper's just been published on this to look at this link, and yes, there is. Um, there does seem to be a link between between the two. Um, what are the reasons? Well, I think if you have an allergy and if you've got a, a young child in particular, it can lead to some picky eating. They don't really want to, to try new things, a bit of fear of food, and so that can lead to sort of fussy eating, picky eating, not wanting to try new foods, so having quite a restrictive diet. And so you can imagine as, you know, a child gets a little bit older, that might um, turn into sort of more serious eating disorders like anorexia. Um, There's also the flip side of that. You know, there might be cases where, you know, you have um, children with eating disorders who maybe use having an allergy as almost an excuse so well i can't eat dairy because i'm allergic to it and that means they can cut out all of those foods that have high calories um so there is there is this link there is some research there isn't a huge amount of research but there is and probably a growing need to to have a look at this and work out what what type of eating disorders and what's driving it is it is it that it's a fear of food to start off with because of the allergy and then that's just spinning over into other things we need to have enough but this there is certainly yeah. a link
0: I can yeah i can definitely imagine kids using it as like i've got food allergy i, I don't want to eat this like trying to get into trying to get them the veg yeah. yeah yeah that
1: cuts out pretty much you know what most of the foods
0: honestly like 99% of it is anxiety it's crazy isn't it yeah. like yeah I think it is the, mar- the amount of people it which is. kind of yeah when, by we, it.
1: when we started looking at this it, as I said it was very much looking at quality of life and it wasn't until we started measuring anxiety that we just saw how high anxiety was and how and it's not just in the mum. You know, although yeah although moms do tend to take part in our studies, if we can get dads to take part, we see you know, we, we see similar things that dads are saying they're they're quite anxious as well and that is that is the thing that's that's really important for us to to manage because it's the anxiety that stops you doing things. The quality of life is sort of the end product. it's the anxiety that that can you know, if i'm if I'm too anxious, I don't want to do things that are going to make me anxious yeah, the on, yeah unfortunately, the only way. To stop being anxious about something is to do it. <laughs> right?
0: I know people have asked. Obviously, do you think allergy oh, parents should have better access to mental health care? We kind of touched upon that. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I,
1: I mean, yeah, we, we should. I we we've been talking to some parents um, about this in interviews, and and some adults, and they would like a psychologist just to be part of the team that you see at an allergy uh, when you go yeah. to an allergy clinic. The psychologist is there that would be the perfect scenario that'd and that's dream, what yeah. that's what people are telling us that they would really like um so that's really our goal that's what we're sort of working towards that you know you see your dietician you see your clinician you see the psychologist that yeah. that would be awesome do you, but, fact, yeah, do you, so you find so in yeah.
0: america that they've got much better access uh, clinical psychologists within the algae space
1: this is the really interesting thing about the, the GAP study we're running, which is it stands for Global Access to Psychological Services. So we're looking at this issue across lots of different countries and finding exactly the same. So Australia, Canada, America, as well as the UK, and then all across um, Europe and into sort of South America, such as Brazil. They're all telling us that they have, they want to see somebody about things like anxiety and they don't have access. So, so it's yeah, not just it's a uk everywhere.
0: problem this is like yeah no that's really fascinating because no. i i always just presumed like other countries had it better for some reason i had this um, idea like yeah yeah
1: like, i think there is a little variability because obviously healthcare systems work differently um and so we have the nhs some of the some some of the countries um, european countries have things similar to the nhs and then other countries you pay for your healthcare. um but even looking at America compared to here, here, they're still saying access is really difficult, there's nobody to see, because there's nobody to refer to, um, and uh, so I've got to pay privately, and it's really expensive, so. Yeah, because I yeah. was
0: looking at doing that, like it won't on like for allergies, but then I was thinking the other day, should I get one for allergies? I don't know, like, I don't think I struggle with it, like, I'm more sure about it about like, the anxiety of going abroad i did go through a patch yeah. where it, it was quite bad about six months ago but then or maybe a year ago but then i feel like it's kind of balanced out now right? it's weird it comes in like jits and drabs. i think the final question i wanted to kind of speak to you was like and this is from rebecca how do i promote a good relationship with food for my allergic child
1: Oh, that's a really good question i think being as open and talking about everything as much as possible don't hide anything don't you know try and yeah just be open about it uh, As is to say avoidance can make anxiety much higher so um and what we're trying to to get across to clinicians now and that and they're sort of saying the same thing is that the the language they use um, is really important so we're trying to to get across, to not say you've got to avoid everything, and you've got to read all your food labels, and you've got to avoid all the may contain. And and you've got really serious allergy. Because you use that language, and you're you're going to feel anxious. Yeah. So it's all about it's all about knowing your risk and managing it. So for example, you know you cross over the road. You don't just cross it without looking left right. Um, you you check. Or if there's a or if there's a crossing, you'll go to the crossing. So you manage your risk about crossing the road. And allergies are exactly the same. What can, how can you manage your risk to reduce it as much as possible? And talking to your child about all of those sorts of things and all the foods they can eat and maybe the foods that are they can't eat and what might happen and what might not happen in a way that is completely open can just help not, you know, make sure that, that, you know, no, no conversation's forbidden, you know, because otherwise. They're just going to have questions they want to ask and not feel like they can ask them, and then get anxious about it. So, um, that's I think that's that's the the advice. I'd yeah. Give.
0: No, that's incredible. Honestly, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Rebecca, to kind of pick your brain about anxiety obviously kind of you're kind of 25 years obviously kind of studying it um so honestly i really appreciate your time today if anyone wants Come to right. kind of follow you are you on twitter are you on i um, am on twitter
1: Instagram? i am on twitter um i really ought to put more on twitter i have i that goes up and down <laughs> and yeah so i do oh, well, about a conference i'll go on twitter um if you do follow me on twitter you'll usually find pictures of the countryside hot you know the dogs <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, that sort of thing, Um, because we do live in the countryside. But, yeah, so, but please, yeah, do follow me on Twitter. I will try, and particularly when I'm at conferences, try and and put stuff out. Um, We also use Twitter quite a lot for recruitment. If we're running studies and we want um, people, you know, parents or or patients to take part in our online studies, we'll recruit through there as well. So, yeah, please do follow me.
0: No, that's incredible. Honestly, yeah, I loved having you on the podcast, and um, yeah, I'll keep you posted. And hope everyone enjoy the podcast. And make sure to click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes every Monday morning. So yeah, thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on.
1: That's all right. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dan.